Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. Hey, hey, I just wanted to pop on here real quick before the episode starts and give a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Now that that's out of the way, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy it because it helps the podcast grow. And don't forget to be peace, be love, be mindful as a mother. Lindsay and I talk a lot about the nervous system in parenting, and we have just launched a totally free resource because we understand how hard it is just to understand the foundations and figure out what your triggers are to learn how to regulate your nervous system. So we have created the nervous system um, foundation. We call it Nervous System 101, and we're going to go ahead and put the link in our show notes. So if you want to learn the foundation and basics that we teach about regulating your nervous system, don't forget to check it out. Hello and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. Lindsay and Paige here. Say hey. Hey y'all. Hey y'all. I just got real southern. Sometimes I people think I have a southern accent and it makes my heart like really happy because I secretly want to be southern. But anyway. So many times I wish I was a southern belle and I'm just from Idaho, which Idaho is not the northwest either. It's not. A lot of people think I'm from Iowa. Is it Mountain <laughs> West? Is that what it would be called? Probably, because I'm in the mountains and I'm west. Yeah, that's Utah, I think, Mountain West. I'm from Utah. Utahns have their own special accent, um, but I don't know if I sound like a Utah. Mm. A Utah. Maybe we're too close in accents, because I can't tell. No, we're the same, probably. Oh, that's true. So, I, basically, we say the same thing. Fun fact, we are um, in Idaho together right now, and I was at the gas station last night, and I was talking to a guy about buying lotto tickets, because that's what everyone from Utah does when they go to Idaho, right? <laughs> and I was, and he was asking me a question. I was like, I don't know. I'm from Utah. And he's like, what are you doing in Little Utah? And I was like, I've never heard Idaho referred to as Little Utah. Little Utah. Utah. <laughs> I was like, but it, it tracks. It tracks. Oh, dang. I feel a little less than now. No, no. The pretty, well, Idaho is like a secret, like a best kept secret that it's it's very pretty here. There are so many natural like wonders and places of exploration they don't put on the map here. Yeah, because they don't want people to move here. Yeah, because they don't want people to know. They don't want people to move here. Yeah. We hate everybody. Speaking of, same gas station. We went there to get energy drinks because we're like a lot of podcast episodes deep. And uh, there was a hat in there that said like no vacancy and it had Idaho on there. So they don't want anyone. No vacancy. (laughs) They don't want anyone exploring Idaho. Uh, Well, welcome back to another month, another Q&A. We love being here because we get so much so many questions constantly on our different social media presences. Presences. That's just a weird word. So yeah. on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and in our Gmail. If you have a question that you would like some general direction with, you feel comfortable writing in, we can keep it anonymous just like we normally do. Um, but send it into the email, mindful as a mother pod, mindful as a mother pod, pod at gmail.com or Follow and like us on TikTok, Mindful as Mother, and slide into our GMs. 
or DMs. Don't, don't slide, slide don't slide, DMs. Don't slide into my DMs on TikTok because I don't know how to work my DMs on TikTok. And there are our DMs on TikTok <laughs> and they're shut down. But you can slide into our Instagram DMs or email us or just post comments on videos. But you can submit like we have the Q&A badge on TikTok. I'm learning TikTok, which sounds weird. But um, <laughs> you can submit a question that way as well. Um if you have them and my advice when submitting questions is be as detailed as possible because then our answers will be the most tailored to you and your specific situation yes and for those that are new here which I don't know why I haven't done this before but Lindsay and I are both therapists that work primarily with children she's licensed in Utah I'm licensed in Idaho and Arizona Arizona. (laughs) so we have like just this straight shot of states from north to south border Um, west coast we met we became best friends and when therapists meet and become best friends they naturally start a podcast and so we have mindful as a mother which is our combined company where we have a ton of free content we're really passionate about supporting parents in their healing journey while we also experience our very real healing journey as therapists and parents and uh we always have like resources, we have email newsletters, and we do sell some virtual offers and in-person stuff. Yeah, so check that out. At the link in our TikTok, Mindful as a Mother. Uh-huh. Hit, <laughs> hit us with the first question. Okay. How do you make your 13-year-old semi-give a crap about school? No matter what I do, I can't get him to pay attention in class, turn in homework, complete it correctly, and I don't have time to be on him 24-7. I tried, and it makes me nuts. What? Okay, so you can't. You can't make anyone care about anything they don't want to care about. But what do they care about? Hmm. Do they? And how can you uh, use that as... I was going to say leverage that, but then it sounded like super manipulative. (laughs) We're not leveraging our team. We're not leveraging... No, 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 no. But a little. Um, How can you use that as a motivator? So maybe they care about friends. Maybe they care about video games. Yeah. What can you do to incentivize them to care about school? Yeah. One thing I find a lot with adolescent parents that I work with is we're having a hard time allowing for consequences. And it's not like I'm yelling at you, I'm forcing you to do this consequences, but natural consequences that they can experience kind of underneath our safety net-ish. Mm-hmm. Before they turn 18 that they would naturally be experiencing as they move into adulthood. So it's like you're not turning in your homework and you're failing. So now you fail. And now you don't get to do X, Y, Z. So there's different types of, there's a natural consequence, which is just like what would occur had this happened just in the wild. Mm -hmm. Natural, wild, makes Mm -hmm. sense. And then there's logical. So we're tying it together. So it's like, oh, even if the school district's going to let you play basketball with the C, I'm not. Like That's not okay. And then you don't have to engage in the power struggle. Mm -hmm. You set the expectation ahead of time. Like, you're not going to hang out with your friends if you have a C or below or whatever that looks like. Yes. And then you don't fight about it. Yeah. You don't engage in it. You don't nag. You don't do that. And eventually, they will learn that if they want to do – if the thing that they care about is important enough to them. Cell phones. Video games. Always Social connections. Technology. Yeah. That social – Social con- that social connection is a huge motivator in adolescence. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if you really want to do X, Y, Z, then you're going to have to figure it out. Let me know what you come up with. And I'm here to support you. I'm here to put mm-hmm. systems in place. Um, but maybe a bigger thing to explore is 
why does your teen not like school and what can you do to make school more fun and engaging for them? Yeah. Yes. Oftentimes when I hear of adolescents not turning in homework, it's less about I didn't do the homework and more about I'm forgetting. So get curious. Mm-hmm. Like what's happening? Keep why? being curious. Keep asking questions. Is that a TikTok sound? I feel like it is. Is it? Keep being curious. Keep, keep asking, asking questions. questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we were just told that we need to limit snacking for our eight-year-old. He has autism and is a picky eater. What ways would you do this so that we don't create body issues later? Okay, so kind of a tangent, but also applies. I've been reading like a lot of articles on the French approach to food and eating for kids um, because my kids are like very big snackers. And when I visited France in 2019, I was like enamored at like all these kids like sitting in restaurants eating like grown-up meals without like losing their shit because you don't see that in america um and they have like pretty structured snack times that they and they let their kids choose the snack times but they let their kids know that like you don't there's not really access to food out of snack times meaning and there's plenty of snack times so that they're they're being nourished they're not hungry Mm -hmm. so that's the important thing you want to make sure your child isn't hungry but um creating a structure or a schedule and so maybe that looks like breakfast morning snack lunch afternoon snack dinner bedtime snack that's still three snacks a day that's a lot of food um but it and but it helps them eat better at meals the reason i started researching this is my kids are really picky um but also even my non-picky kids my girls would prefer to snack over eat the meal that's Mm -hmm. made for them Mm -hmm. and i don't want to give them body image issues or um, restrict snacking, but I want to encourage them to eat the food that we made. Yeah. So my four-year-old is, is pretty rigid Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of power struggles around snacks. One thing I did is I created snack drawers Mm -hmm. and I refill them every two weeks when I can afford to, because these kids are wild. But so then after school or childcare, they like the house rule is like, you have a snack, it's snack time when you get home right away from Mm -hmm. school. And so they can pick two snacks from the snack drawer. I love that. That's and then perfect. we have dinner. And then um, she sometimes will eat dinner, sometimes won't. The family rule is that whether you eat or not, you sit at the table for family dinner. Like, we all sit together. Also family rule. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, so what it looks like is you can ask to be excused whenever your body says that you're done. And if you still have dinner on your plate, then you save that. Like, leave it where it's at at the table. And if you get hungry between now and bedtime, that's what you eat. Yes, we also do that. I think it just the there's the power struggle that comes in or the whining later of like, well, I don't want that or I, you know, I want yeah. snack later. And so that's where I was just like trying to find a way to like, how do I encourage them to eat more without restricting the snack, right? Yeah. Well, and when we or we're speaking of an autistic child, so much of it has to do with the sensory experience. Yes. So I would even encourage like it's maybe not typical but if there's specific sensory like snacks that they're drawn to can we incorporate that into dinner i love that so um sam has autism i feel like i bring that up every episode (laughs) everybody my son relevant my son has autism guys in case you didn't know um so and food is a big part of that for him a lot of it is a sensory experience and so um uh, food and parenting around food has been one of our biggest struggles with him lately and we found that if we just put a variety of foods and there's like safe foods, I call them green foods in mm-hmm. our house, like they're go, green means go. Um, I know that there's at least a few things he will eat mm-hmm. to get enough nutritional value, but I also put everything on his plate. Yeah. So like uh, a little bit of everything and he'll, he may have that automatic reaction of like, ooh, I don't want to try that. 
I don't push it. I'm just mm-hmm. like, we ask that you take a no thank you bite is what we call it, um, of something new. Yeah. We just, we and just get a little. like it, no thank you. And if they, this is, I know I'm on a tangent, but if they don't even want to take a no thank you bite, they can like play with that smell, look at it, like get more familiar with that food. So if you're dealing with autism, it's a good, it's a good method to try. Um, I love that. I love that you call them go foods also, because I think in my own trying not to create body images of my kids, I try not to label things good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. And I try not to label things healthy, not healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I've been really struggling with verbiage that I feel like is neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll talk about like everything's healthy in moderation. Like we can have a little bit of everything here and there. But I don't want to get like really into it in lecture, right? Say 95% less. So I like that you call them go foods. Yeah. And sometimes like, so if they want chips and it's really close to dinner, I will say, let's put some chips on your dinner plate. So like, yes. how about we wait? And I set the the chips on the counter wherever I'm cooking dinner and say, we'll set these right here so mom remembers. And if I forget, please remind me, we'll put some chips on your dinner plate. It's more than okay to have some chips. So that can be yes. a good way to like phase out that snacking And I don't know why they're having you reduce snacking. Um, The other thing that's important to teach kids, specifically ones um, who struggle with food stuff, is body awareness. So how does my body know when it's full? How does it know when to stop eating? Am I mindlessly snacking? What is my body telling me? Starting there and asking those questions can help kids um, because with neurodivergence, specifically like autism and ADHD, eating is a stimming thing. And it's not that that's Mm -hmm. bad. That's a a neutral thing. I, I do it to stim, but it can lead to like binge eating. And so, um, something that you want to do is teach your kids to be in tune with their body. Am I eating because I'm bored? Am I eating because I need stimulation or because I'm stimming? Um, and you don't have to use those like exact words, but, um, do I need something else to do? Do I need something to do with my hands? Do I need to move my body? Do I need something crunchy? Can I chew on ice? Like what, what is the intention of my eating? Is it actually physical Mm -hmm. hunger? Yes. And what I love about the body fullness, the awareness of this in our body is when you're creating a foundation for your kids for even emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. But this is the program that I'm working for myself to heal my relationship with With food food in adulthood. Agreed. So I would love to set this as a foundation for my child. Yeah. And it's, it's a process and there's a lot of food shit to unpack that Mm -hmm. I have that I think everyone has. Um, I just, something super cute is because we talk about this in our house, my girls will come up to me and they're four and they'll grab their belly like, and make their belly talk. And like my belly's saying, I want applesauce. Like they make their belly talk to me. And I'm like, okay, like we know we're talking to our belly. Is it, what's that, um, movie with Jim Carrey where he makes his stomach talk? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, is it, I don't know what it is, but I know exactly. Is it the animal one? Ace Ventura? Or yes. is it the mask? It's. I don't know, but Jim Carrey, 100%, that is what that reminds me of. Yes, me too. And I want to draw a face on their belly. Every single time. Mm-hmm. My belly's saying, I want this. Um, so, and teaching your kids body attunement is really good for being tired too. Like, oh, yeah. is your body telling you you're tired yep, right now? Basic or, needs. And yeah. there's a lot of times, like, with adults, this is something we work on. We work on journaling, like, when we feel tired, when we feel hungry, when we feel thirsty. Um, just to start to build that foundation because 80% of all communication in our in ourselves happens from our body to our brain. And it creates trust within ourselves. A lot of times as kids, we were told not to trust our feelings, our thoughts. And if you come from a really like old school parenting home or an, a neglectful home or like rigidity or um, or maybe you just weren't taught these things, you become very disconnected from your body. And that's mm-hmm. the first step to building awareness and healing. I love it. Okay, question number two. 
three. Three, damn. Question number three. Sleep. How do you get a six-month-old to sleep? She slept better as a little infant than she did now. There's so many exclamation points I really needed to, like, live the experience of that question. Okay, I feel like I, I am her. I have been her. And infant sleep is not something I remember well or, like, the, the strategies I used oh, at the survival. time. Because I was in pure freaking survival mode, specifically with my twins, but also with Sam. Um, Let's talk sleep regression because yeah. sleep regression is so real in that first year of life. There is a six-month sleep regression. And what that looks like is developmentally, we're having so many leaps. We're learning so much. We're starting to connect sequences that um, our sleep is disrupted by our brain development. What is that thing called where it like shows you the leaps that your child Wonder weeks. Wonder weeks. Okay, look into that. See if your child is in like one of those. Um, Giving yourself a lot of grace and patience and maybe nighttime sleep means that like nap times need to be adjusted. Do they need more activity or stimulation before bed? Are they eating enough before bed? Like what's causing them to wake up I think is something... To look at are they um sam had a thing it's like i think it's called habitual sleep waking so his body would wake up at the same time every single night mm-hmm. and i did a lot of research on it and um one of the things they said was because like his body just got used to waking up at that point in the sleep cycle to set an alarm for like 10 or 15 minutes and go in and like rub his back mm-hmm. and so enough to cause him to stir but not to wake up and that would like reset the sleep cycle and it freaking worked. I was like, whatever, I'll do anything to get some sleep at this point. And so I did it and it freaking worked. Yes. So the thing I want you to hold on to is knowing that this isn't forever. Okay, sleep regression usually only lasts anywhere between two to six weeks. Six weeks being like the outlier, meaning like not as common. So it should be over in less than a month. And we are starting consistent routines. So that too, at six months old, each each baby's individual and how you practice as a parent is different. So if you're like practice attachment parenting and you hold your baby to put them back to sleep and that's not interrupting with your ability to function during the day, that's great. But we're teaching them a way to put themselves back to sleep. Mm-hmm. It depends on the development of the nervous system and their ability to learn to fall back asleep. And um, can we normalize that like not all kids are great sleepers and it's nothing that you're doing as a parent? Yeah. Sometimes it is purely temperament. Yeah. And they sleep are just. Sleep in that first year of life has nothing to do with you as the parent other than like meeting basic needs. Yes. And so like you can do these things to like problem solve and um, and you can do the research and try the tips. But my other suggestion is to get support where needed. So like if they're waking up all the time at night, is there someone who can stay with you one night a week and get up with them? Is there someone who can watch them for a few hours during the day so that you can take a nap? Like, what do you need to support them? Like, what support do you need to be able to support your child? And how can you achieve that within your support system? Because, you know, some kids don't sleep through the night till they're like four. Yeah. And that's that's okay. My kids still nighttime wake Mm -hmm. and they're at the point where um, and part of it is I haven't – it's not something I've actively tried to break because I feel like it will resolve itself. Yeah. They're not up. They're not upset. But they wake up in their own bed and they come and they crawl in our bed and they fall back asleep. Not every night. Not every kid. Yeah. Sometimes we wake up with one kid in our bed. Sometimes we wake up with three kids in our bed. Sometimes we wake up with no kids in our bed. It, like, blows my mind that you would go to sleep 
and then you wouldn't wake up when they climb into your bed, and then you just wake up and there's children there. Do you wake up in between, like, when they're climbing in? Sometimes. Um, okay. I also, so, like, the way our house works, Tim's a very a lighter sleeper than I am, and I'm a, I have to take medication to sleep because I have nightmares if I don't. PTSD, woo. Um, we're all traumatized here. So I had a hard time, I think, when my kids were younger because I couldn't take that because I was either nursing or because I had to get up, be able to get up or, like, I can still be woken up. Like, if you touch me or, like, I'm, I'm touching patient right now, like, yeah. I will wake Just up. Sleep. I'm not going to not hours. wake up. Or if a kid's crying. Uh-huh. But if they're very quietly, like, climbing in my bed, I might sleep through that. Okay. And so it's been a little bit about, like, um, I know that Tim's there and we have the plan, but also like I can be woken up, but mm-hmm. sometimes I'm just not. Okay. And my kids are old enough that it's not a danger for them to sleep with me. Yes. Yes. And it depends on your parenting style. So our next question actually is similar to this, or it's tips on transitioning from co-sleeping to sleep training in their own bed for a 10 month old. And so something that I wanted to specifically bring up is um, when my youngest was a baby, I was working full-time and I was in graduate school full-time. And so I was working, these were my hours of shifts. I'd work a 12-hour day, a 14-hour day, and then a 10-hour day, like in a row. And so I, the repeated waking at night when it wasn't like a hunger cue for me, I could not function during the day. And so like Zane would take over to do nighttime like feedings and stuff from a young age. But at that point... I really needed to sleep train because it was really impacting my my ability to provide for our family during the daytime. And there wasn't anything that I could change about that situation. Girl, same. So when I had my twins, Tim was working out of town Monday through Friday. So the first, um, and then my C-section was infected. That was a fun, that was a wild ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, I had to I had to sleep train them or I had to have some kind of routine or have them in their own beds because um when they were younger them being in my bed affected my sleep Mm -hmm. um even if they were asleep the whole night which they weren't um but it was like the only way I could function yes because I was home alone with three kids and I was still working um and so I think finding whatever method works for you and you can google a bunch that aligns with like your parenting style but then giving yourself the grace space and flexibility to adjust that method if necessary grace space and flexibility yeah yeah i feel like a noodle grace space and flexibility yeah you need all those things to adjust to like what works for you and your family yes and if you're not getting enough sleep, the chance that you will experience like delayed postpartum depression and anxiety significantly increases. So it is very much a like you need to sleep as a care provider. Even men can experience postpartum depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So like as a care provider, you need to prioritize sleep. So here's some skills that we're going to talk through. And as we like to say, take what works and leave the rest. Can I add something real fast? Yes. The transition from co-sleeping to like a new routine Mm -hmm. um, is going to be rough. And I don't want you to give up just because it's rough. Yes. So go into it knowing that it's going to be hard, Mm -hmm. but that that hard is temporary. Yes, exactly. And then my other thing is maybe start with uh, transitioning during nap times. Yes. So what I was going to say is co-sleeping and allotting for that, you are doing a level of co-regulating where your baby is feeling safe and gaining that level of safety and comfort from you directly. And so when you're trying to create that separation, you are aware of it. 
your baby is aware of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we're going to move into it slowly and create a consistency of routine where we can establish a sense of safety, even with like your limited presence. We're trying to extend it. So we're going to move slow. We're going to move intentional and we're going to move predictable. So starting at nap time and what does nap time look like? Right. So Mm -hmm. maybe it looks like we eat lunch, we read a book in the chair in bed And then maybe the baby falls asleep, like nursing or feeding or 10 months old, you probably ate. Maybe they like rock them to sleep and then you lay them down. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they wake up during nap time, that's your opportunity to kind of provide a soothing environment without picking them up. And then just like repeating that because you by repeatedly meeting the need within this space that they will be sleeping in independently, you are extending your safety to them in a new environment, creating those new associations. Yes, and this is where you call in the troops because this is a lot of energy. And if you have other kids, if you have um, a life outside of being a mom, like you need to sleep, you need that support. And so that co-regulation doesn't always have to come from you. It can, and you can have other people in your life support you in the other tasks so Mm -hmm. you can devote your time and energy to this. Um, It's also like something that I feel like needs to be the priority at the moment. Yes, absolutely. And so it can look like hopefully that seven sisters concept that we talked about. Like I want you to have natural supports. As humans, we don't have enough natural supports. And if that's a limiting, let's talk about a transition. So a baby wakes themselves up. And then this is what I used to have to do with my youngest is while she was laying in bed, I would pat her back. Mm -hmm. And it was exhausting, but I would pat her back and then she would soothe back to sleep. I wouldn't pick her up. I wouldn't remove her, but I would pat her back and put her back to sleep. Mm -hmm. Whatever way you can extend that that level of safety Mm -hmm. to it. Um, To allow for that. And then as nap time progresses and goes well where you can lay them down, they're feeling safe. It's a comfortable environment. Maybe you got the white noise. Like whatever. My youngest kid was the most demanding sleep-wise. Like as an infant, I would have to do like these really dramatic squats and specific movement for her to go to sleep. And then... Um, she used to get so angry with me because my torso is shorter than her father's. And so when I would hold her on my chest, her toes would touch the top of my thighs, even when I was standing and like walking and she would get so angry. So then her dad would have to hold her and she would like dangle and then she would go to sleep. So it was like very specific and we needed like all blackout curtains. We needed white noise, like, and none of her siblings needed any of that. Mm -hmm. So it was a wild ride, Mm -hmm. but by consistently meeting the need without, like the removal and, and like we're backing off now, right? Mm-hmm. We're teaching her the new st- skills and extending that level of safety. I love it. And Godspeed. And um, <laughs> Godspeed. And if you feel pressure to, like if you're transitioning to their own bed because you feel like it's time and you're ready and you need that, do it. Yeah. But if you're doing it because of pressure, don't do it. Yeah. Plain and simple. Don't do it if it doesn't meet your need and it's okay to try and say I'm not ready for this I'm not in the space to give this the energy and time that it deserves I'm going to back off for a little bit and try this again in three months or six months or whatever that looks like when they're not in the middle of a sleep regression Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) all right guys so that's all the questions for today we'll see you next week bye bye Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, Creating Community and Smashing Parental Stigma, Embracing Mindful Motherhood and Positive Parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.